Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Romance at a Glance, Authors at a Glance. I am your host, Bridget. With me is my co-host, Shawnee. Hello, Shawnee. Hi, Bridget. Bridget. How are you? I'm doing really great because today's interview went spectacularly. I had Amazing. so much fun. So much fun. Guys, today we talked to Penny Reed, and I had discovered Penny on TikTok, Book of Talk, uh, and we were reading The Winston Brothers, and I just like slid on into her DMs, and I was like, hello, would you like to come on our podcast? She was like, yeah, sure. So, not only is she coming on our podcast, you guys, but we are also going to raffle off a copy of her latest book, Homecoming King, on Instagram. Instagram.com forward slash romance at a glance. Go over and make sure you enter. Uh, the book was super great. And this interview was a goddamn blast. I feel like we covered so many things. She has an own voices imprint because she wants to uh, help people and found this woman on fan fiction who was writing about her books and she wanted to just help authors get their books out there a lot of them then go on to traditionally publish or to indie publish depending on what they want she talked about her own writing journey we talked about our love of helen wong and how reading that book um, helped her discover some things so uh, we covered a huge gambit we laughed hysterically all the way through penny reed we love you we love you. All right, Bridget. I don't know if we need to say anything else. I mean, it's just no, like, we right, don't. Let's listen. do this. Let's get this shit popping. People need to know. Let's get it popping. Romance at a glance. Uh huh. Romance at a glance. What you say now? Romance at a glance. Go ahead, girl. It's well, hello, everyone, and welcome to a very exciting Authors at a Glance. Today, we have Penny Reed with us. I was introduced to Penny via TikTok and crushed the Winston Brothers series in about a week. So I was very excited when Penny said that she could come and talk to us. Hi, Penny. Hi, how are you? I am doing just fine. I'm just hanging out and about to talk some romance, so it's a good day. But first, before before we start, I want to know who's in your lap right now. I see a little... Oh, this is Hazel. He's our dog. He um, actually changed my screen settings. So I'm sitting here trying to figure out how to get them. There it goes. So he must have pressed something with his paw and it like jacked up my computer. So I'm like, if you see me like frowning, like what the heck is going on? He set it to dog mode. So yeah. There you go. That's awesome. He thinks he's a, he's a huge dog. He thinks he's a cat though. Unless the doorbell rings, then he's all dog. But he thinks he's a cat because he likes to, cr- and he's huge. Like I said, he's like 70 pounds. He likes to curl up on your lap. Well, I, I love a, a giant lap dog. Those are my favorite when they're like huge and you're like, you don't fit. But they're like, I fit. It's okay. <laughs> well, when I saw his little head peeking up from like at the bottom of the screen, I was like, oh, she must have one of those little terrier, tiny terriers. And then like, the camera moved and I was like, that is not a tiny terrier. <laughs> Hazel, Hazel, it's a ginormous. Oh no, no, he hit something else. No, he's huge. He's he's a part Bernese Mountain Dog. So I love Bernese Mountain Dog. He's a big guy, and he's just the sweetest. My um, my husband and I want to get a dog and work currently. Like, you know, looking around online and seeing what's available. He he like was like, Bridget, come into my office, and it was like all serious, and I was like, okay, what's going on? And then he he opens up the browser, and it's like six puppies to look at. 
And one of them was this chocolate lab. And I was like, you need to ask for more photos because this looks like a stock. Like this photo is so cute. It looks like the stock photo of like the perfect chocolate lab. Looks like you need to get some, you need to get some more evidence because I want it. Yeah. <laughs> and You're being catfished it. by a dog. <laughs> that, that's what I said. That's like, like catfish. Okay, let's get back to your book. So I want to say oh, mad sure. props because I just saw that your latest release, Homecoming King, is number 44 on all of Amazon Kindle? Like, how cool is that? I don't know what's going on. I'm so confused. Like, I think, I don't know. And I have uh, author friends te- messaging me, asking me, like, what did you do? Like, what ads yeah. did you take out? I have no idea what's going I mean, I feel like I'm living in some sort of alternate reality. And <laughs> my, my PA is messaging me. She's like, what is going on? Did you do a promo you didn't tell me about? I'm like, no. So I don't know. What, I don't know what's happening. And we had like a year-long pre-order. I don't know. I, I have no answers. I have no answers whatsoever. So it's just been a strange week. I know, because you're like number one in sports romance, number one new release in holiday romance. And I was like, dang, get it. To clarify, you guys, we are recording this in December, even though we are going to release it to you in January. So oh, okay. this was a month ago. <laughs> Anything can happen when you put things on the interwebs, because like um, my friend and I made this music video and we leaned into the absurd. So we had like these animal heads on and we were doing weird dances and all this stuff. It wasn't, it was literally meant to be like something that we enjoyed between us, but like nobody else, we didn't expect it to go anywhere. And then we wake up one day and it had like the next day and it had like 16,000 views. And we were like, how did that happen? But we realized later that we hit a niche fetish that uh, we were unexpecting. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Maybe ugly Christmas sweaters are a niche fetish because the cover of the book is the design is an ugly Christmas. Well, it's an ugly winter sweater. I, I yeah. would say with this one, it's an ugly winter sweater. But those are the covers for this particular series. The first one has snowflakes on it. The next one has like majestic deer head silhouettes. <laughs> and then the last one has like poinsettias and, you know, like that kind of thing. So it's uh, maybe people are seeing the ugly Christmas sweaters and being like, that looks hot. So <laughs> like warm. Cozy. I don't know. <laughs> Not hot, as and sexy, obviously. But no, but you gotta embrace the ugly Christmas sweater, ugly holiday sweater. I feel like oh, yeah. I just ordered. I try to order one a year for each of us, just as heinous as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. But the ones for this year are delayed, and I'm so sad because it doesn't really oh. feel like the season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Until we all are forced to drink eggnog out of a, like a Rudolph cup. so we didn't grow up doing christmas jams but since i have my own kids now i was like i just want to do christmas jams i see people do it it always has looked so fucking fun that everybody's in the same matching like reindeer bullshit or whatever and so i've made my husband dress up every year however i am also a procrastinator so i'd be trying to order christmas jams december 20th or something and it's (laughs) like everything sold out so i'm like getting like the nastiest fabrics and like bottom of the barrel and this year i decided i'm gonna do it early so i bought them in october so like i've been wearing them and my kids have been wearing them for months but it was great because we got the, the creme de la creme on sale Ooh, nice. And so, but and, but the reason I ordered it earlier is because everyone was like fear mongering me about how long shipping would take around the holidays. Yeah. So I got, I was like, I don't want to be, I don't want this year to be an uncomfortable polyester <laughs> year. 
I want organic cotton. <laughs> and I well, want so you can't let them get used to that. You got your next year. You have to purposefully order the uh, like the next because you got to keep them on their toes. Because if they come to expect it, that's when you're in trouble. So that's you true. keep those expectations low. That's what we do with our kids. We keep the that's- expectations. <laughs> Oh yeah. That's my main, that's my main parenting strategy. I'm like, you don't need me to play with you. Play by yourself. You're two and four. Like I, I shouldn't be involved in you doing as many things as possible at this point. Like I feel like you're like, I feel like you're like, I made you a sister so I, I could have made some time off. A human being to play with. And it was hard and you're welcome. And now you two can get your own applesauces from the closet and not bother me about your snack. Thank you. Right. You can do That's why we have it there. Right. <laughs> you sound a lot like my husband who he um he, he was talking to his mom recently and she's the youngest of five kids. Mm-hmm. And they grew up and his grandfather was part of the space program. And so he'd leave for work and then the mom would, you know, stay and that because that's what happened at that though during those days. Uh that was pretty typical. His mom would stay at home. And so but I guess his grandma would like yell out directions to the kids rather than get out of bed. So she'd be like, make sure you pack your lunch (laughs) from the bedroom. And she'd never get up, walk them to school or like make their lunch or anything like that. So I feel like we are winning as like, look at all this effort we go to getting out of bed. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like I made them eggs this morning. So I feel oh. like I've I've completed parenting right now. Yeah. So now you don't have to make dinner because you already cooked something. So oh yeah. Know. It's my husband's birthday weekend and my husband loves to eat out. So I'm like super stoked because then I don't have to feel any like residual like maybe I should cook. It's like, no, he no. likes to eat out. It's his birthday weekend. So like what am I gonna do? I can't right. Y'all, y'all, this sounds ter- this this sounds terrible. This, this is why this Shawnee whole- doesn't have children. <laughs> She's like, I don't know, I can prove it. Sounds this. terrible. My, I, my net. Listen, my nephews beg me all the time to come to my house. I mean, they beg me with their whole chest, and I said to them, I said, the only way you can come to my house is if you can cook your own meals and get do your own <laughs> snacks, and I don't have to do any of that for you. Then you can come to my house. What yeah. mm-hmm. they said, bet when they get here, they have a bucket, they put all their snacks in for the day. I taught them how to make these little pho like bowls, like ramen bowls or whatever, and I don't have to do anything. And so, every time now, when I go to their house, and they're like, Auntie, can I come to your house? I can make my own stuff, you don't have to do it. I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, yeah. though, because the thing is, I feel like so many kids go out into the world and they don't know, like, they don't, they've never ironed a shirt or. Yeah. You know, they don't, they've sure. never made a bowl of ramen or whatever yeah. it is. And like, and then they end up setting the dorm on fire. And, and, sure. and I, I, yeah. the, our fire think, alarm yeah. in the dorms used to go off like every yeah. three days. Yep. Um, people are always cooking crazy shit in their microwaves. I'm like, yeah, what are were. you doing in there? Like, and they were like, I didn't know you had to take the foil off. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh great. Oh, hard, hard. Oh, great. Um, so, do you find because you live in a rainy climate that like lends itself towards reading and writing? Cause you're just like, what should I do today? But stay inside and read another novel or write another novel. <laughs> I, unfortunately I'm not living the dream of like the cozy life, hashtag cozy life. <laughs> Cause I, I do have the three kids and then the dog and you know, the, the writing and 
So I don't get a chance to read nearly as much as I would like. I used to be, I feel like a lot of authors do this is they used to be like really big readers, Mm -hmm. um, reading hundreds of books a year. And then they start writing and they're like, I don't have time to read. So Mm -hmm. uh, that is not that, but that was my plan. So we lived in Florida and Florida does not lend itself to any kind of cozy life. It's, Mm -mm. it's just, there's the damp. bugs and da- and moist. I'm going to use the word. I'm going to use yeah, the M word. It's and it's, it's <laughs> not a great, it's not a great, it's not a great, well, anyway, but some people might disagree with me because Florida does have the beaches. So you do have like beach reads. And so it's a very beach reading uh, environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I grew up there for the most part or in also Los Angeles. So I was ready to leave the sun behind when we moved to Seattle. And it has been so glorious to like be, I don't have sunglasses and it doesn't matter right? because I'd step outside in Florida. It's like, ah, you know, the mm. light. Ah. Yeah. And then, yeah. So uh, I wish I were doing that, but that is not the case. Um, I have too many responsibilities. And as much as I lower my children's expectations, they have high expectations of me, which I guess yeah. is good that they, yeah. uh, that they have high expectations of people. So yeah. Um, no, no. But um, but in terms of writing, it does feel a bit like being in a writer's cave, especially during the dark, wet season, which it runs from November until the end of February. Um, but then it is we've been having strange weather here, I guess, mm-hmm. in that the summers have yeah. been very sunny. So we haven't had any rain from about the end of May or very, very little rain about the middle to the end of May until like through August. So it's oh, just wow. all sun all the time. And then the sun rises at like 4 a.m. and sets at 3 a.m. And it's so, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Shining your face is like, like oh, Alaska. Lord, no, thank you. <laughs> I keep trying to convince. So I just moved from Los Angeles to Chicago this year. And I oh, keep awesome. um, laying the seeds for Shawnee and her partner to move uh, to Chicago yes. also. And I'm like, it's so cozy. Like you could, no. and she's like, I don't like to be cold. And I was like, that's what heating is for. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny. Bridget called me out because she was like, I, I was like, Bridget, I, I can't go there. I don't like the snow. She's like, Shani, you don't leave your house anyway. And I was like, fair. That's <laughs> yeah. fair. That's fair. <laughs> Yes. I think I think my direct quote was, bitch, you don't go outside. <laughs> oh man. I feel a little personally attacked by that. <laughs> yeah. Why you bring me on here just to attack me? That's not cool. <laughs> no, but, no, I don't leave my house either. And so sometimes a week will go. My husband will be like, so did you leave the house this week? And again, it's like, why you got to attack me like that? Yeah. <laughs> why are you coming out with that hostility? Where you know? downstairs. I'm That's writing books, making want. money, and making people happy. Yeah, <laughs> people happy. So, yeah, and I feel like leaving the house is overrated but my therapist says that's agoraphobia and i need to not do that <laughs> so yeah why yeah i thought you need to like why we got pepper in some outside time <laughs> why we have labels on everybody <laughs> yeah why do we, we have, have a label label I'm just why is it gotta be some phobia why can't it just be <laughs> why can't it just be my, my house is safe and warm there's food here yes. there's snacks <laughs> 
Okay. Thank you. And I have I, windows. It's yeah. not like I've boarded them up yet. Yet. Yes. So. You didn't board them up yet. I heard that. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, okay. So, so like, did you, cause you, you didn't start out um, as a full-time writer. You had a different career. Did you, were you like writing in the background or were you just kind of always thinking about stories? And then one day we're like, you know, I should just write these down. Um, that was a gracious, uh, way to turn the conversation away from agoraphobia. Thank like, you. That's what I specialize in. It's turning really Shawnee. Good. Cause usually it's Shawnee who's on some nonsense. And I'm like, let's get uh-huh. back to that. <laughs> so I try. I appreciate the, I appreciate the shout out. <laughs> that was, that was skillfully. It's my job. It's um, my job. So, uh, let's see. I have always written ever since I could read and write. I loved telling stories and so I used to write this comic book when I was little because I couldn't uh, I couldn't actually read until I was eight uh, or almost nine so I would write I would draw comic books stories just with pictures mm-hmm. and so that continued once I was able to make it things happen for myself and um, and then I just always wrote stories and then in in my 20s when I was in college i wrote fan fiction for mm-hmm. and you know published that and and it, yeah gay fan fiction yes. i'm a huge <laughs> fan i still read on fanfic.net and um that's actually oh my gosh nobody ever says fanfic.net and i'm so happy you said that right now because like that's the og that's like where that's it yeah, all that's the one was yeah was. yes that's yeah it. that's, that's where awesome. i still source <clears throat> stories i mean i I'm meaning that I that's if I'm not reading like a novel or something for work, that's kind of my go-to is to go to fanfic.net and see what's going on. <laughs> so I love fan fiction though. I just feel like there's a freedom there as an author, but then also as a reader, there's like this mm-hmm. it's for fun, you yeah. know. It's mm-hmm. it's I feel like fan fiction is maybe the purest form of and I know some people want to fight me, namely anybody who works at the New York Times, but <laughs> I feel like it's the purest form of, it has the most literary merit because it's done with the most love. I feel mm-hmm. that way rather mm-hmm. than let me teach you a lesson. You know, like that <laughs> so I just love it. And so I wrote fan fiction for a really long time for, I mean, during my entire career as a biomedical researcher. And then uh, you were talking about your video that hit a niche. That you woke up and you're like, okay, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. Um, <laughs> when I had all those views and something similar happened to me is I wrote a book for a friend who um, just super brilliant woman, but incredibly socially awkward, like just, you know, had, I was telling somebody the story recently, like she'd say, you'd be in the middle of a conversation. She'd go, hold on, I need to go poop. And then she'd leave. And then, you know, she'd come back and was like, all right. You know, you could have just said, excuse me, I have to go to the ladies room. But no, it was specific. Everything was very specific. And so she was a voracious reader of romance novels and she loved them so much. She just felt like she couldn't relate to any of the people she re- the females that she read about, the female characters that she read about, because she's like, they're all, they all get it. They're all with it. They all understand and, you know, nuance and relationship. And I don't. And so I was like, I will write you that character. <laughs> like, I will write you that, uh, that brilliant but dumb character, you know, socially backward, I guess, uh, who reminded 
who reminded me of myself and then also of her where it's just, you know, we stumbled, we don't leave our house. We stumble through interactions. And so I wrote that and uh, we made a bet. She took me out to dinner because I won the bet. And then uh, I saved it on my computer. And then one of her book, I've told this story like a million times. Sorry if you've already heard this. But then she wanted her book club to read it. So I put it up on the Amazon on Pi Day, as a matter of fact, in March. And she, her book club, I guess, downloaded it. I put it up for free. And I thought I'd check in just to make sure that like the eight or whatever people in her book club had downloaded it. Turns out it was downloaded by like 8,000 people for free. And I took it off. I was like, how dare you? <laughs> this isn't for you. <laughs> but then my husband talked me into putting it back up. And then people started leaving reviews and I got really irritated. I was like, should I just take it down and put it on, you know, fan, fanfic.net? Like, cause that's where I was used to yeah. uh, interacting, but I didn't, I left it up and then people started reading it. And then now I'm here with Hazel. I think, you know, what well, your, your newest book being such a success, such a success I think is a real testament to something me and Shawnee talk about all the time is that you really just have to like keep doing the work and it's kind of like a ripple effect because like for as many times as you get like a really great opening novel then you still have to keep on writing and publishing and writing and publishing and writing and publishing and talking to your readers and and going to panels and doing podcasts and all this stuff um so that you know by the time you get you know, five years in, 10 years in, 15 years in, you have this like readership who's like hungry for what you are offering. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely work. My kids will tell you that because they don't, they don't, there's spans of time where they don't see me because I'm just like writing for 18 or 20 hours a day or whatever it is. And so, yeah, it's definitely work, but if you don't love it, I can see that it would be easy to get burned out on it like if it if writing's not a part of something you just have to do anyway yeah. I can see it getting really old um yeah really fast uh, I, one I like the story that you told and I think that that story you wrote was really important because there's like uh there's not enough stories like you always read these stories about people who are like socially awkward and it's quirky and whatever but you don't really hear the stories about people who are super socially like awkward, don't understand social cues and that sort of thing. And that's my life, right? When you're like, my friend walks away and goes, I'm going poop. I do that all the time. I'm like, wait, are we not yeah. supposed to announce that? I'm about, about to go poop. I'll see you in a bit. Like, is that not a thing? Don't do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, well, Bridget, she said, what she said about it was she was like, well, poop takes longer. I didn't want you to think like I was like I had left for good because it takes a while. So I didn't, you know, I was coming back, but I just wanted you to know, give like an expectation of time. But if I had been number one, then you know I'd be right back. And and also she then went into this whole thing about how like, well, never mind. It's I'm about, not gonna give, uh, no, but, but she was she yeah. had a reason for saying it. It was like it was a polite, good reason. So it's honestly not about like this, the word quirky I've embraced because, you know, it, there are people who are quirky and I think it's gotten a bad name being quirky because it's like people have reasons for doing what they're doing. And it's not some sort of cutesy, like, oh, look at me. I'm so different. You know, like the whole Kristen Wiig kind of mm -hmm. character that she plays type of thing. People, like my friend 
had a legit reason for saying, I'm going to go poop. I'll be right back. It wasn't to be quirky. It was to provide me information. You know what yes. I mean? So and expectations and be very clear mm-hmm. about what's going on. And she wasn't trying to be cute. And she wasn't trying to be interesting or unusual and unique, but she doesn't understand. She didn't understand like the social norm is not to announce you gotta go big <laughs> you know what i mean the thing is like that was a polite thing for in her mind yeah so, anyway. well like so i think one of the things that so bridget has been on on this journey with me right where i'm like i'm like bridget i know that i'm autistic i, I like i really like and i i just need the diagnosis but i already know this is the case and it's because of that type of specificity right so if i feel like i'm giving you the incorrect data when i tell you something it will bother me and like my brain will explode. Like, <laughs> you know, so if I, I can totally see how she's like, I need to tell you that I'm going poop. So, you know, I'll be gone from like seven to 15 minutes, depending on what yeah. kind of day it is. And, right. and that kind of specificity for my brain is beautiful. I'm like, ah, and yeah. I, as a kid, when you're in that, um, when you're a kid like that and nobody around you understands that your brain works in that kind of specificity, yes. it makes you that kid that everybody goes, Oh, you're so quirky. You're so, Oh, oh that's Sean. She's just doing the thing. And you're like, no, anybody else to understand that I'm just, we just need the data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So I like, uh, I like the fact that when you wrote that story um, about that, cause I think that's like very needed. Um, and that like, it's not just something that's like, oh, like a manic, pic- manic pixie dream girl. I feel like we get put into that manic pixie like little box or whatever. Um, but it's like yeah. a real thing, you know, and and um, and I love that. I think the first book the, the that I read, which was way too soon, was um, there was one historical, but then it was the kiss quotient, I think. Oh, yeah. Where, <clears throat> where it was like that. And I was like, oh, I love this. <laughs> I love this book. <laughs> this is great. So Helen Hong's book, uh, kind of changed my life so she's amazing by the way she's awesome she's just like a great person and um my son's so my we'd had physicians who told us we needed to get my son my old my oldest child tested for if he was on the spectrum and I was like he's just like me and I'm not <laughs> so yeah you're laughing you're like, ah. I see where this is going <laughs> and so uh yeah so i uh and i think i've told this story before so i apologize again if i'm repeating i'm my grandma anyway that's what's going on um and uh, i was resistant to it and we put it off and then it was like the wait list of course is like you know 40 years or whatever so we get on the wait list and the whole time i'm like he's not on the spectrum because he and i are exactly the same and i know the spectrum because i've seen tv you know what i mean it's like all the representations of individuals on the sure. spectrum it's like you know, i've watched not, someone the good with asperger's do math in a yeah. detective crime solving show and that is <laughs> what autism is for and sure. they all work for nasa anyway right, so, exactly you know as a people we work for nasa so mm-hmm. um so I, I was resistant and then i read her book i read the kiss portion and i was like Oh my God, because <laughs> this is, this is like, I'd never seen so much of myself in a book. And prior to that, I'd get emails from readers saying, I appreciate that you write autistic characters. I was like, no, I don't. I don't write autistic characters. I just write characters. I just write people. 
So, and so, um, and I don't know what my mental block was, honestly, I mean, in retrospect, but then I read the book and I reached out to her and we went ahead and we had our appointments and, um, we were both, uh, diagnosed as being on the spectrum. And, and then I reached out to her and I thanked her because I honestly would have, I still would have been disbelieving had I not read her book and seen myself in a character so clearly. And that was huge. That was huge to be able to see. And then there was an authenticity there because it was written by an individual who clearly, you know, lives her life, is on the spectrum. And I was just, and because of that, I became somewhat obsessed with own voices, stories, rather than a story written with an interpretive lens, meaning that this is how I perceive this, um, this experience. So this is, and I've done all of this amazing research and so clearly I can write about it. And that's one method, but the authentic own voices stories, um, I can, I've learned a lot from reading stories written by authors who are telling their own perspective. And that's why we started Smarty Pants Romance, which is an imprint that I run that's focuses on own voices, stories, and um, also diverse stories responsibly told. But because I want to get more own voices stories out there, we publish uh, between 10 and 20 books a year, and we try to launch own voices authors and their books. So it's really an incubator. So, but that's why I did that. Is I, and also they, people were writing fan fiction for my books anyway. And I was like, ah, you should get paid because it's work. You know what I mean? Like writing mm-hmm. is work. It is. <laughs> I have some like binders and binders and binders and binders of stories that I'd rewritten the endings to and changed all the things. I spent yeah. out, as a kid, spent hours and hours and hours doing that. That was a lot of work. I look back and I'm like, God damn, I should have got paid. <laughs> you know? Do you find that um that the, the so my partner he asked me like um, why is a diagnosis important to me? He's like, if you already think you're autistic, why is a diagnosis important? Why is that like a thing you're like actively? Because he's seen me struggle. Like I've gone through like sixty doctors. My health insurance won't. Um, they keep giving me doctors who can't diagnose me at all. They're like, we don't even do this. We don't know why they sent you here, you know? Um, and, uh, he's like, I don't understand why you're like putting all this effort into like finding a diagnosis and that sort of thing. And it took me a while to like quantify what, like why it was important. And I told him, and I don't know if this is true for you as well, but I said, it's important for me because of mercy, right? Like, Mercy for myself, mercy from others, mercy, like the mercy that I needed as a kid, if people had understood, they would have shown mercy in moments where I was, I didn't, couldn't comprehend what was actually happening, happening in real time. Um, And there's moments for me that like, where I feel like I'm failing in life or I'm not doing something I'm supposed to do. I'm good at a lot of things. Don't get me wrong. But there's moments where I feel like I'm failing but it's pretty normal and natural if you're autistic that that's a hard thing to do or that you're not, you know. Um, and so even in understanding like, oh, I think I have, I'm autistic, it allows me to go, 
Shani, have more mercy for yourself in that area. Like, rela- like take a deep breath. So I don't know if you found anything or what you found in that process. So that 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 was an unattend- unintended consequence. Uh, was that? So I have a habit. I know I do of saying the wrong, and I'm putting this in quotes, the wrong thing. Yes. Or of. Um, uh, upsetting people without understanding why it's upsetting or mm-hmm. so my backgrounds so here's an example my background is in biomedical research and so when people talk about consent i i'm not thinking about consent in the same way let's say as just somebody on the street i'm thinking about consent in terms of the nuremberg trials and the code of federal regulations and the, re- the requirements that are the eight you know tenets of informed consent and all the informed consent for all the thousands upon thousands of informed consent forms I had reviewed and as for, or created or written or contributed to. And each and every one of those informed consent forms, since I worked in biomedical research, called the person who's signing the consent a human subject. Right. And so I think of things in terms of like human subjects. And that phrase I have found is offensive to people even though that's what scientists use. And that's what was decided upon like almost a hundred years ago at this point. And that's what they continue to use. And I was having a conversation with um, somebody, of course, on Twitter, which I have learned never to do. Like that is so <laughs> bad for people who are on the spec. I, I don't know if I'm the only individual on the, on the spectrum that just really does horribly on Twitter. So I just try to not interact or just like, oh, LOL, you know, <laughs> because I I have learned that I can't, I can't interact in a meaningful way with individuals on Twitter without them getting really angry with me. And then I'm confused why. And then when I ask, they're even angrier and I'm like, oh, okay, never mind, you know? <laughs> so, because I want to know, so I don't yeah. do it again. Mm. But that never that never comes off. <laughs> well, it's like data never reads yeah. well. I, I've told people this I, all the time. Data I never just... reads well. And in between the lines for my brain doesn't exist. But for other people, when you when you put data, there's all this in between the lines that they read that you're like, how did you infer that for I don't understand so I, where <laughs> you that because unless I wrote in ghosting, you know what yeah. I mean? Like what's going on? Yeah. I, so, I, I think it's great though, because I I think what you said about reading it and then recognizing something in yourself. I I just read a book and one of the characters is like this high powered bad bitch billionaire lady and her two assistants tell are in like a text message chain with this guy who she's um, doing a marriage of convenience with that he proposed. It's a very funny book. Anyways, and they say to him, if you are texting, which she prefers make sure you use emojis on all of your things. So she knows what emotion you are writing it with because she cannot infer whatever, like, so if you write something like, I'll be five minutes late, like if it's a happy five minutes late, put a smiley face, you know what I mean? Like if it's like, if you're flirting, put a little wink. Like if you're, you know what I mean? Like she, otherwise the con, she won't get the, she'll just take you at face value for whatever you say. And there will be no insinuation of flirting or sarcasm or anything if you don't spell it out. Um, And we actually read Helen's book in our first season and and both Shani and I don't read a ton or hadn't historically read a ton of contemporary romance. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is the best book. It was our one of our my top five books of the year. I was like, this is the best book yeah. I think we've read. And what you said where you were like, I recognize myself. Shani's like, I feel like I'm just like this character. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I would love to talk a little bit more about Smarty Pants. Like when you started it, like, did you know you wanted it to be an imprint or like, how did it, how did it become like an incubator? And, and... so what happened, what, what, it really all started with fan fiction because I had, I became aware of a um, individual who was writing a fan fiction for two of my characters and it was a, it was a unique fan fiction and it was, it, the pairing was unique. It, and um fascinating because you have this great I felt like he was a great side character his name is Steven and he was just like this really fun character to write and then this bad guy who is not a good guy uh and who is somewhat of a villain in one of the books and the author had paired them together and excuse me and um I just was I just adored it and I felt like it was a great book and she had put obviously she had a huge amount of talent and I wanted a lot of people to read it but as the owner of the intellectual property your lawyer will tell you you can't promote fan fiction because it damages your copyright unless you do it this way which is you uh have them sign a contract and you make it like official you know like Mm -hmm. official fan fiction or what we did was we expanded the universe. So we have what are called canon titles. So that book became part of the penny verse. And so we went, we had her rewrite sections, which contradicted canon, which contradicted mm-hmm. reality within the fictional world. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, professional editors and uh, book designers and all of that. And we included it in the first launch and that's called sticking to the script. And that is such, I mean, it's such a great, it's such a great book. And those two guys together are, fan, I mean, they're just fantastic chemistry and she's such a great author and um, we're still harassing her to write more stories. Um, but really that story was the origin of Smarty Pants Romance because I became aware of it and I loved it so much and I believed in her as an author. And then after I read Helen's book, I was like, you know what we could do? I just had this, who did I just have this conversation with? It's like, if you're not helping, if you're not using what you have to help others, then what the hell are you doing, right? And so I feel like I've been, I have a bit of a, I don't have a huge platform, but I have a bit of a platform. And if I'm not using this to help others, again, what the hell am I doing? Like nothing really. And that's not to guilt people into, you know, doing things that are outside of their wheelhouse. But um, after I read Helen's book and I was made aware of a lot of the disparities in traditional publishing and the fact that it's just, Traditional publishing wasn't ever or still isn't moving fast enough to change um, in a way that's meaningful by being more inclusive. And that's a damn shame. And so rather than just complain about it, I wanted to do something about it. So we that that was the that was really the origin of it is like, well, I could again, I can jump on Twitter and I can complain about it. And that puts pressure on people, or I could 
start an imprint with own voices stories and actually get stories out there and then introduce my authors to traditional publishers like acquisition editors and agents and that and that's what we've ended up doing is we've had some people who've written one book for us now and then we've passed them on to traditional publishers and made that introduction and now they're trad pub and we have a couple um own voices authors who have just signed deals and so we really awesome. just our goal is to be a launch a launching platform we don't want people to write for us forever <laughs> although they have a tendency to stay <laughs> but we don't want people to write for us forever we'd like for them to be one book one book and done or maybe three and done and then we want to get them where they want to go which if that's in traditional publishing great and, or if that's as an independent author, great, or a hybrid, whatever. But we it, it's an incubator in that we also give them the skills to, this is how you pick your editor. This is how you pick your cover designer. This is how you get on Goodreads and form a good relationship. This is how you have a reader group. This is how you interact on social media. This is where you need to be spending your time and attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a fellowship for authors. That's awesome. Yeah, because I think the, the, the thing that, a lot of people don't realize is like all this knowledge that you've accumulated is so yeah. valuable to someone who just like doesn't have the access or doesn't have the experience. Yeah. And also the validation of like you as a published author who clearly she loved your work enough to write about your side characters to have you come and say like, Hey, I believe in you. Your book is great. You're a great writer. Like that validation from someone um, that that she may not have ever gotten somewhere else. I think like what a gift you're giving all these authors. It's so cool. So I, what's fascinating, and I think Shani is probably going to agree with me, is that validation never actually entered my mind. Like that that never occurred to me that that, but you're right. I mean, yeah. I think that for a lot of people, validation is really important. It's an important yeah. part mm-hmm. of what brings them joy and happiness. Yeah. So no, you're. That's a really good point. I've especially, especially since like notoriously our education system is not uh, great and even keeled, and so a lot of people who aren't, you know, like cis white men are not given encouragement when they write a story to write another one, or they're told like, oh, you couldn't have written that story, like, or you, you know, they're accused of plagiarizing, or they're accused of like you know, all these things. And so then they might shut down that creative outlet. So I, I, yeah, I think it's, I I agree. I can understand where you wouldn't even think like, I wouldn't validate them. I think they're great. They should know they're great because they're great. But a lot of people don't know they're great or they think maybe they could do it, but you know, know, having someone, having someone who feels like an insider tell you, Hey, Mm. you know, like we, we talked to, um, I don't know if you've been on um, smart books or smart pitches, trashy books, their podcast. I have not. I okay. likely won't either. Okay. Well, she's amazing. Okay. And she's been doing it for like 10 years. And she was like, hey, you guys are really good. Like your interviews are good. Aww, I listen to your podcast. So like nice. come on our podcast. And we were like, squee. <laughs> um, that's great. That's really yeah. great. So I think it's awesome. I think the what you, <laughs> the reason probably people don't want to leave you guys um, is like when, <laughs> when you do feel supported in a place, you don't want to leave it. Um, mm-hmm. But But like mm-hmm. for me, so, you know, Bridget, she, she tells me this all the time. She's like, Shani, the things you do, you are incredibly good at, right? And she's correct, right? So, like, um, the other thing I do outside of this podcast is I create music. And I have, I have an ear for sound, just like an uncanny ear for voices and sound and things like, and things like that. That's um, awesome. 
But where I feel incredibly incompetent is in the administrative back end of, of my art, right? And no matter how much I've learned over the years about how to do this, I can't, it's really difficult for me to exist in the administrative space mm. and, and in the artistic space. Um, but I, I always, every single day, feel highly incompetent in the administrative space, whether it's bookkeeping, making sure, like, is this, is this, am I following all the rules for this to be an official business? Like, am I registered the right way? Is the IRS going to get me later? Like, is this, <laughs> you know, like I, those are active thoughts. I think about like that world through my brain every single day. Like, am I, am I doing all that I'm supposed to do to promote this? Is the marketing correct? Yeah. You know? And so that, when I say the amount of energy that pulls away from me actually creating is astronomical. Um, it's like, it's an understatement. Uh, so to have a space where you're supported in kind of the back endings, yes, I can write a book and I can feel really confident about that book I wrote, but in terms of like making sure that I have the right people to put through the cover and all of those little, that minutia to actually get that, your art out into the world, um, having support in that has to feel uh fucking amazing <laughs> because, <laughs> because that I think is where, um, probably a lot of people get stuck in terms of putting their work out. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I, and the nature of publishing has changed so much in the last 10 years. I mean, it's just so different. Even from when I published in 2013, it's so different. And every year it's different. It's like last year, book talk was just the beginning of something. And now it seems to be everything. And, um, and it's great. See, I don't, I, I don't mind the administrative stuff because I like order. <laughs> I like uh, rules and boundaries and order and templates. Oh, I love me a good template. And you and me both. Cre- you and oh me my, both. So <laughs> trying to make fun like, of me all the time. I'm like, it's color coordinated. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, I have a template for that. Yes, so, I do. In author groups, I'm like, I, I hesitate to be like, hey, do you guys want do you guys want my template? Like I have a template. So for all of our releases, depending on the kind of release or the genre or whatever it is, we always have a template. And so we just share those with the authors so they have a, a starting point so they can and the idea is to add to it and update it and revise it each and every mm-hmm. time so the template is ready for the next release, you know, that kind of thing. So I love that because Templates never make you feel bad about yourself. You know, templates nope. are nope. templates are great. And when they so, give them to you, and when they when you guys when someone gives you a template on Google Drive, like so that you can edit the template as you need. Yes. You know, not the yes. locked in ones where you're like limited to what they've created. But when you can just start modifying, those are the best templates. Those are the best. <laughs> it's the best because it's like just waiting for you. It's like a. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I just, I just love them. Right. Well, I digress. <laughs> no, you're talking, that's grown up sexy talk right there. That's yeah. what that is. I mean, honestly, like if one had to describe our podcast, it would be romance, a digression because we, we, we spend a significant portion as our listeners know, <laughs> digressing about a lot of topics and then we that's circle awesome. it back. Well, cause like, I feel like when, whenever we read a, ro- we read a romance novel, it brings up a topic of which I want to talk about, sure. but, but it's like, it's like romance adjacent or it's like relationship mm-hmm. yeah. adjacent, you know, like you were talking earlier about how 
like on Twitter, people are not, we're not understanding or how like um, the way you, you refer to people as, um, uh, was it subject, human subject or human uh, subjects, yeah. human subject. Right. Yeah. So I literally encountered a TikTok yesterday that left me in what I call amusing state, which means like I have no definitive answer for this concept that somebody brought up, but it's going to sit in my brain and use around for a while. And so it was like the concept of, um, should you, should people be called birthing persons or, and chest feeders so that it's inclusive to all LGBT people. Right. Um, and so there was these conflicting TikToks back birthing and forth. Persons. A birthing person or a uterus. You holder. know what? I like, I like, no. I like, I like, I'm fine with birthing person. Chest feeder, it's I'm going to just feeder. put a negatory <laughs> on. I'm going to put a negatory because well, <laughs> it's a terrible phrase. I, I'm okay with the concept, but it doesn't have a ring and it's terrible. And I do not well, approve of chest feeder. feeder. Come so, on. We so, can do better. We can do better but, than chest feeder. But the thing was, is that it was like a nipple it. giver. <laughs> Perhaps. It, it was, that sounds, that sounds I'm just workshopping some terms. Workshop. Keep, let's keep workshopping. But like, so for me, it was an interesting conversation because it hit the intersections between, sure. it was like an intersectionality point, right? So mm-hmm. uh, b- brown people did not want to be called birthing uh, person because they felt it was dehumanizing. And for a long time, brown people have been dehumanized. Right. Mm-hmm. So it hit a trigger. And so some people are like, well, it's just to be inclusive. And some people are like, no, we fought really hard to, to be considered human. And so it was this cross point And I found it fascinating. I just found it fascinating. And so a lot of times thing, we'll be talking about romance, but it'll we'll go on these tangents of other things because my brain is like I have like a hyper focus over here. I'm like, wow, this is a really interesting topic. Let's talk some more about this. You know, and I find that especially after the pandemic, I don't have, I have very little capacity for small talk and very little capacity for things that don't matter in conversation. Um, yes. I, it, it's, it, that meter has gone to almost zero. Like I'm like, eh, I'm interested, I'm interested. But if you, if, if I can find like a niche topic like that, where I'm like, Ooh, that's, no, that's an interesting thought. Like just now I don't need an answer. I don't need a right or wrong. I just think right. that the musing yeah. of that topic is very, is a great conversation. Um, so I love the tangents. Okay, good. Uh-huh. How have you found um, like your sales and your imprint sales during the pandemic? Because personally, I read so much romance because like my husband asked me the other day if I wanted to watch the new Edgar Wright movie. And and the answer is yes, but also no, because mm. I like don't have the capacity right now to watch anything that I don't know how it will end. And I don't know that it will be okay. You know what I mean? Because like so right. much shit is like topsy turvy. And I'm like, you know what? What I want to watch is like 25 Christmas movies in a <laughs> row where I know for sure at the end, <laughs> everyone's going to kiss on our mistletoe and everyone's going to smile and it's going to be cheery. You know what I mean? Or like, I want to read, you know, all of your books in a week because I don't have to worry. Yes, they're going to have complications in the middle. Yes, some people's feelings will get hurt. But I know at the end, they're going to figure out how to work it out and how to be together and how to like have a they're happily ever after like did you find that that um, your your books or their books really exploded because of that no um no so i r- right before the pandemic i wrapped up a book series um called the winston brothers mm-hmm. and i published the last book in that the november before the pandemic and i mm-hmm. was burnt out uh mm-hmm. just in terms of writing and 
creativity and all of that because my mom had died suddenly in 2018 and then I didn't take a break I just kind of like said nope I have books I have to publish I'm gonna get this shit done you know like I'm Mm -hmm. getting it done for sure um, and it was also like there's no emotions in work you know like Mm. that's not a thing so I went ahead and I wrote those books and I did I fulfilled everything that was on my calendar and then after I finished that book in the end of 2019 I was just incredibly burnt out and so I then then the then we moved we moved um houses and then the pandemic hit in February March and we were shut down before everybody else because the first case was in Seattle right and I could not write at all I couldn't Mm -hmm. write at all and so I decided to just write a, uh, characters I had already written so that was um the spin-off series for the Winston brothers the solving for pie cozy mysteries mm-hmm. and those books did not do great and so I just wrote one book in 2020 and then this last year I stayed focused in the Winston brothers universe for my books and those didn't do super great either. Like nowhere close to how my Winston brothers books had done prior. Mm-hmm. And I, and then this book came out, the homecoming King, which is really my first brand new characters mm-hmm. since 2015. So, you know, after six years of only ever writing either in the knitting in the city world or the Winston brothers world, or, you know, I dabbled a little bit in new adult when I found an interesting concept I wanted to explore, but this was the first brand new characters I'd written. And I think if you had asked me this question last week, I would have said, well, my readership is actually down about 40%. But after this week, I'm like, well, I don't think they went anywhere. I think they were just waiting for me to write something new. Mm-hmm. And I did, I wrote something new. And now, um, I think that's why, actually, that's probably it. That's probably why the book's doing well is because I had readership who were just, they were done with the Winstons. They're ready to move on to something new. They're done with knitting in the city and they're ready for something new for me. And so I finally gave it to them and then they showed back up, which I'm incredibly grateful for. And um, because I had also just thought to myself, um, Sometimes you just get tired of reading a particular author. You just get burnt out on an author Mm -hmm. and that's, I I do. And so Mm -hmm. that's fine. And that makes total sense to me. I mean, I'm, I I think I called it a, I'm the captain of this doomed ship. So if it ever sunk, I would not ever be surprised. So, so as much as I'm grateful for the new readers and then also, because I did gain, I think a lot of new readers over the pandemic had never read any of my books before. And I'm also grateful for the individuals who were able to keep reading. I heard from a lot of people that they just weren't able to read at all. Like they, mm-hmm. they used to be voracious readers yeah. and now they just can't read anything. They don't have the focus yeah. and they're, and that's, you know, a major symptom of depression. That's and very true. I think yeah, we, me and Shawnee have both gone through times where we're like, we have to read this book because we told everyone we're reading it. And we were both like, okay, we're going to just knuckle through it because not because we didn't want to, not because we weren't excited about right. the author, but just like, it, it, like you said, like, you're just like, how am I even going to focus for the seven hours of reading or five hours of right. reading, or three hours of reading? So sure. I think when you go into the pandemic with an established readership and 
a bulk of people at this point, I would say probably 40% of that readership just really suffered. I mean, we all suffered in the pandemic, don't get me Mm -hmm. wrong, but like suffered in a way in which they couldn't focus and they couldn't read. Mm -hmm. And so it just, I mean, no harm, no foul. That makes total sense to me. I think people got to do what they need. They need to do what they need to do in order to get through it. And so I had, you know, as humans do just assume that I now suck and I now like (laughs) shitty books. And so I was like, well, I love them, but clearly I can't be trusted because the data doesn't pan out. Right. And so I would never, I would never write a book. I didn't ultimately love. I would never publish it. I should say, I mean, I've written books I think are garbage and they don't get published, but, um, but no, I didn't see a big, I, I, I think what I need to do in order to, because I don't want to give you an inaccurate answer. I think what I need to do is I need to dig down into the data and look at my backlist did great, right? But my front list is where I saw reader attrition of about 40% until this release. And then Mm. this release, um, I'm not, I'm seeing the same kind of numbers that I would have seen for a Winston Brothers release, which that kind of also gives me hope maybe that yeah. uh, readers who were having difficulty reading in the past, maybe they're picking it up and they're enjoying yeah. it or that would make me happy. I would love to, I would love to be, ha- have written a book that brought people back to reading. I mean, how kick-ass would that be? I feel like so a Marvel cool. superhero. Yeah, you know, you like, would. I got people reading again or, you know, <laughs> but, but that's, you know, my own fantasy really. It's like, I have like a, have a hypothesis because so, so sometimes uh, we read books and I'll say, I think this author is going through like a transition in their life, right? Mm. Like, <laughs> like, you know, I'll read the book and I'll be like, this feels like they were going through something like mm-hmm. during the reading. And I think that your readers can actually feel, even if they don't yeah. know or can't identify it, they can feel when, when you as an author are going through something or you're transitioning from one state of you to another state of you. Yeah. Um, in your writing. Um, and I think sometimes you can outgrow your readership in a way in which people are writing. Um, I think like for me as a reader, a lot of authors that I used to love, I've outgrown their writing style. Yes. Um, Yeah. That's very true. And now after the pandemic, I I think the, the same thing I was talking about before where I long for, for conversation that's just meaningful in some way. Um, I feel that same way about my books now. So when right. I, some of the trashy romance that I used to read in the past, I, I just can't read it anymore because I'm looking for authors who are curious about the things they're writing and are put, putting things in their books that spark me to go, oh, let me Google that some more after I read that book. Like, so I think that that's also like an aspect of like where, how author, uh, how authors move and how also your readers move within that romance space um, like all the time. I just find that kind of fascinating. Yeah. And well, I just, I would hesitate ever calling any romance trashy. I I have, I I cringe a little bit when I hear that just because I think any character journey where people are finding love and acceptance, I I don't, I I get, it's like, well, we got to label things. I, I just inside, I die a little when somebody says trashy romance, because all romance is ultimately about love and acceptance. And um, I, I, so, uh, so that that's number one. And number two is 
you're 100% right. Like, I know that my I know that my writing is bizarre. I know that because I've been told that by traditional publishers too. They're like, well, it's bizarre. You know, it's a little weird. And so um, I know that's the case. And I know that that's got to get old for people after, I mean, after 30 books, it's like, I'm tired of this. You know, this is not so bizarre anymore. It's, it's tiring and I'm exhausted. Give me some different novel. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Um, but the thing is that that makes total sense to me. And like the same thing, the absolutely the same thing happens to me. I have, I think I already said that I have authors that I just loved and loved and loved. And it's like through this pandemic, I think we've all gone undergone some sort of metamorphosis and some people now need the books that I write. And some people have outgrown them and moved, moved on. And What's also I love about books is that you can never read the same book twice. I know that somebody famous said that, and I don't know who said it, but it's so true because of where you are in your own life Mm -hmm. is never the same. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty, I think, of books. Like, I feel like I can watch the same movie twice, you know, like I've I've seen seen that movie. I've seen that movie a hundred times and it's the same movie. But with books, it's such an Mm -hmm. intimate experience because it's this interactive where you're using your brain and, and you're part of the story. Mm-hmm. So then read like even reading it a week later, you've already changed. That book has already changed who you are. I love that. I just, books are the best. Books are legitimately the best. Yeah. Have you yeah. ever, speaking of movies, have you ever thought about what your books, like let's use the Winston brothers just because yeah. it's all in one time, what, what your books would be like if they were a movie or a TV show or like thought about pursuing that now that like hating game from Sally Thorne just got made into a movie like Bridgerton, obviously like there's more and more properties getting sort of snatched up. So I'm not actually allowed to talk about that. Right <gasps> now. Okay. Let's not talk about it then. <laughs> let's not, not talk about it. I've been allowed to talk about that for about a year. So, Oh, my sweet baby Jesus, you guys. Well, she's not going to say any more, but I'm going to say some more. I'm excited about it. I will watch it. I'm excited about it. I will be looking at the news. Take all my money. Take all my money. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, you know, sometimes you guys, I stumble into a great question. I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. Good job. Good job. All right. Okay. Well, let's move on because I don't want you to say something that you shouldn't based on a contract. Um, let's talk about sex because sex is so much fun to talk about with romance novels. Yes, let's. So there's obviously like a wide span of, of how much sex any romance novel might show you. There might be the classic closed door you wake up the next day, then there might be something, you know, full into erotica. And like, like, I feel like your books are sort of in like a really nice middle ground where they're like sexy, but they're also sweet and they're descriptive, but they're not like super, super graphic. Like, did you ever feel like, like, is that a hard thing for you to write? Cause I know we've had some authors who were like struggle with it. Some authors who are like, yeah, no problem. I just write it like any other thing. How do you, how you attack those things? So I've been asked in the past, like, how do I determine how many sex scenes are in a book? <laughs> and I, I, I like that question because, and I like your question because it always depends on the couple. Like it's mm. some people just need the one sex scene mm-hmm. or maybe they don't need any, or, you know, maybe they need. So the example I usually give is I wrote this um, book called beauty and the mustache and for that particular, for those two particular characters, 
their sex scene was very poetic. Just the way, you know, like she compares, she, she talks about how, you know, for a lot of people, passion is a fire, but with Drew, passion is a rainstorm. And so she mm. compares their interaction when they're together, when they're making love, it, it's very much about, a, she compare, the whole time she's comparing it to this, in this kind of lyrical way to a thunderstorm or to a rainstorm and like the steady, like how it builds mm -hmm. and, you know, and so, but that's completely different than the sixth book in that series, Dating-ish, where he's like, he's like all of a sudden, Mr. Dirty Talk, he's like this nerd. And when I was writing this, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's going on? Because I... So I like walked away from the computer. I'm like, where is this coming from? <laughs> and then I come back and I read it and I'm like, no, this needs to change. Like I've never written like a real dirty talker before. And that's past my comfort level. But then I sit down to do it and I can't not <laughs> write the scene with him doing these things. Like this is just who his character is. And I, truly believe that if you allow the characters to dictate the scene pun intended um mm -hmm. if you allow the characters to dictate sorry that was really no love a pun <laughs> love a, i was just trying not to laugh loud because it'll ruin your audio that's why i'm chuckling instead of laughing um so if you if you allow your characters to dictate the scene based on who who they are and what they would notice and what they would care about and what would what they would be feeling and what would be meaningful to them, then I don't think you're ever really going to have a hard time. Mm -hmm. For me, I don't ever really have a hard time writing sex scenes. I will say that for my first book, I, I didn't know what I was doing because I had nobody to talk to in terms of like, should I mm -hmm. include a sex? So it was very clinical. It was like, should I include a sex scene? What does that say about my book? It says it's good. I was That's gonna say, says. I love how you're, I it love says how you're, it's our cup of tea. <laughs> I was like, I love how it sounds like everybody's first time. Like when you're like, I, the first sex scene I ever wrote was like, it's almost like the first sex you've ever had. It's like, yeah, it's like, very clinical. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure your hand goes, goes here. here. When I wrote it, I told people, I'm like, it sounds like a police report. And you're like, <laughs> you know, it sounds like a description of. Something that happened to a victim, you know, so I, you know, it was very, as you say, clinical. So I, uh, and then I, I, I got some advice from a number of authors who, well, it's kind of a long story, but I, I eventually talked to a number of authors and they were, they told me that, no, you don't want to put a sex scene in your book because then, you know, you can't get a trad pub deal. And then it's very put into just this one little box and, but as we all know, publishing has changed and that's not at all true. And there's lots of mainstream traditionally published books that have wonderful sex scenes in them. Mm -hmm. And I think we as a society have moved beyond this idea that including sex in a book is some, some, some sort of taboo mm -hmm. something. Because not in all relationships, but in a lot of relationships, sex is part of that healthy relationship. So mm -hmm. again, not all, but in a lot and yeah. so to leave it out for me as a reader when I read a romance novel and there's not a sex scene I feel like I have an incomplete picture of the relationship unless okay. those characters are 
um, celibate and they're in a romantic relationship, celibate relationship. I mean, if that's yeah. the case, then that's a complete picture yeah. of their relationship. But I agree. Not, we talked yeah. about that all the time on the podcast where um, I feel like if you give me a fade to black, I'm missing out on how you, how you, whoever the you of the main, whatever point of view we're in, how you react to like the first kiss. How do you react yes. to taking your clothes off? Are you comfortable as a character? Yes. Are you not comfortable? Are they, how do they talk to you? Or again, like, are they a nerd who's an undercover dirty talker right. and no one would expect it? Like, right. I want to know all those things. Cause that is like rounds out the complete picture of, of them as, as individual characters, but also the romance, because like you said, like sex is very important and a very like defining thing of most relationships and especially like the first time you have sex or the first time right. wh- whatever type of sex that is um I remember and, like when I was in college yeah. and, and I did a play and I was I was directing this play and um we I had like a, a professor who was like overseeing this project of me doing presenting this play and there's a there's like a it was about a mother and daughter they had a lot of contention between them. And there was a moment at the very end of the play where the mom actually like, it's a very uncomfortable scene and she cries and whatever. And I remember I had her turn like with her face um, to the back of the stage. Right. So the audience couldn't see her face. And I always remember my professor telling me that that choice isn't, wasn't essentially a good choice. He's like, you owe it to your audience for them to be uncomfortable with her, to have to look her in the face as she's breaking down and, and go on that journey with her. He's like, by turning her backwards, you've, you have not let them in to, you know, what you're creating. And that kind of reminds me of that same concept. It's like when you close the door and you fade to black, you're robbing your audience of a chance Mm -hmm. to see the most vulnerable moments with your character. Yeah. Well, and also that development of trust, because Mm -hmm. even if you have individuals in a book who start out, like it's, you know, I don't want to say insta love, but let's say they start out a physical relationship before they develop an emotional one. Um, it's important to show the progress. I feel it's important to show the progression of the sex scenes where more and more trust mm-hmm. over the course of that relationship. And so you take something that has started in the physical way and it becomes this emotional important event mm-hmm. for both of the characters into, I just get, super disappointed in humans who don't see that. And I, mm. I guess I feel a little sad when I feel sad when I see reviews where they call romance porn, because that yeah. means what I'm reading into that or what that says to me is that individual who's writing that review sees sex as transactional, even within their own relationship that it's, yeah. Even within their own relationship, it's a it's porn. Right. It's just a transactional right. thing, rather than finding any interest in the the dance between yeah, the, the sharing of yourself, the sharing. Uh, allowing yes. someone in to your your crazy <laughs> yeah. vulnerabilities in your world. I agree. I get mad because I'm like, yes, this 500 page book I just read is porn because it had two sex scenes like that to me is crazy if i'm now if i'm reading some fan fiction or like a one shot if i'm reading something that's 25 pages and you know 18 of those 25 pages is them having sex sure i, w- I you can equate that to porn i'm fine with that because that fulfills for me the same sort of 
um, itch that I would, you know, you would watch a porn video, you would read an 18, 25 page story on Wattpad or something. Um, but I'm like, this book was 350 pages. Like they, you know what I mean? Like we went like, and some books, you know, some books are certainly are more erotic and there is significant more sex throughout. However, it's still about those, again, like you said, the vulnerability, the trust, it's still about two characters, you know, figuring it out, try, you know, getting through this process together. So I think that's really selling it short. Um, I saw a TikTok where a girl was like, did like thing. She's like, books are porn for women. No. There is porn for women. Yes. yes. There are books. Porn is porn for women. <laughs> porn is porn for women. For women. Yeah. And like, why isn't Game of Thrones then porn? Because yeah. there's more sex in a lot of Game of Thrones books than it. there are in a lot of romance novels. Because <laughs> a man yeah. wrote it. Because <laughs> a man wrote it. So Literally. Fantasy section like Outlander. Of the I feel like, out, like Outlander and Game of Thrones to me are, are equitable, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And the only difference is whether a woman wrote it or a man wrote it. Like well, and also the one of the other only differences is whether or not a woman enjoyed herself. Yeah. So real. does that mean that if women enjoy themselves, it's porn? Yeah. I mean, is that the kind of message we're trying to get across? <laughs> yeah. But if yeah. it's violence against women, it's art. Yeah. What is? Yeah, I know I mean, that makes me yeah. so mad. Like, why is it that only, like, historically, TV shows and movies that are about depressing, horrible subjects are the ones that people say are art. And I'm like, it's actually much harder to make a comedy than it is to make a drama. Because a drama, you can lean into the music, you can lean into like a fucking slow push into someone crying for eight minutes. In comedy or in romance, if the chemistry isn't there, then it's over. Like, like there's a reason Reese Witherspoon was making $25 million a a movie, because she looked at each person and she could make you believe right. that she was actually falling in love, but that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Sandra Bullock as well. I mean, she's exactly. Like, I love Sandra she's Bullock. Unbelievable. Like she, yeah. she has chemistry with everybody. Everybody. Every single, yeah. I've never seen a romantic comedy that she's been in where she didn't have chemistry with that male yeah. lead. Yeah. She's amazing. She's yeah. rock star. Dude, her and Keanu. Ooh. First of all, I might have to watch. I might have to watch that after this. I love love Sandra. I love sweet. When he grabs the bar and he rattles it and his forearms are popping and then she puts her hand on him. Okay. I got to stop. I got to stop. Listen, I know Keanu. too much for me. I know Keanu has a boot, right? He's got his, his, his boot that he's got now, but in my mind, it's, it's them forever. Like it's, I don't. In I just, my mind, he's 25 <laughs> years old still, and he might be just around the corner in California when I hop onto a bus, <laughs> and he might need me to save the day. In my mind, he's not in his 50s and in a happy yeah. relationship. I agree. Also, also, I don't know. This is again like I love a tangent. I don't know if you've ever listened to him in an interview, but anyone who says he's a bad actor, go, I encourage you to go to YouTube and just watch any interview with him. Right. And it doesn't matter which one, anyone. He talks very slow. He talks very quietly. He's very self-deprecating. And yeah. then you go watch these movies and I, and he's like totally completely different, different on screen yeah. than he is. Such, and I'm like, that's fierce... what acting is. That's what acting yeah. is. That's, yeah. a, that's acting. Yeah. And also like that man has led so many franchises. Don't get me started. I wanted to have a son so I could name him Keanu, but I didn't. I had daughters. So. <laughs> Here we are disappointed. <laughs> um, okay. So I know we've had you for a really, really long time. So I want to ask one final question and then we're going to let you go. 
Um, if you had any like real life advice for either entering into or maintaining and sustaining a long relationship, what would that advice be? Um, well, so one thing we try to do is be kinder to each other than we would be to a stranger all the Mm. time. So when I go out and I'm like in public, I'll open doors for strangers. If I see somebody struggling, I'll try and help. Or, you know, if I say, please, and I say, thank you, I'm polite. Mm -hmm. And I think in your own relationship, I see, and I saw this with, this might be oversharing, but I saw this with like my own parents. They were mean to each other. They were meaner to each other than they would be to a, and that was their, that was their wheelhouse, you know, and they were married 48 years before my mom died, but they were so nice to strangers, you know, that they would see on the street. But then like with each other, there was no please. There was no thank you. There was no, well, let me get that for you. Or, you know, you look like you've had a bad day. Go sit down and relax. You know, that, that awareness of another person that you would have with a stranger that you kind of stop having with the person you're with. And I feel like I'm actually, we're going to have our 20 year wedding anniversary in January. Yay! I got married as a baby. <laughs> I was a baby when I got married. Um, but that's something that we try to keep central to our relationship is um, treating each other better than we would a stranger. I love that. That is great advice. Yeah. And also I appreciate the, that. the perfect way to end this. Yeah. Well, Penny, thank you for being here and thank you for talking thank with you. us. And thank you for asking me. And this was so much fun. Like this Yay. was great. I just feel like Yay. we sat down to have a conversation. So it's great. That's what we always want. We want to feel everyone to feel like they're our best friends afterwards and like they want to just hang yeah. out and I'm getting the three heart necklace and well you guys um be on the lookout because penny is also going to be giving us one of the books to be raveling off so be on the lookout for that on instagram and make sure that you follow penny and uh read all her books yes that would be great but if you don't like them like no judgment because (laughs) yeah if you don't like them stop at one don't leave bad reviews on the other don't Don't keep (laughs) oh who was it i was having a conversation with Mariana Zapata we I there's this reviewer who reads and reviews all my books as one stars and leads to reviews for all of them I just feel so bad for her like I feel feel so bad what something's wrong in your life that you are on purpose reading a book that you know you're not gonna like we call that like don't read it that's a pain slut that's literally the kink the king is pain. So crazy. Sad. And I want to like, I want to reimburse this person and like, <laughs> you know, maybe give them a gift certificate to therapy or something. I just yeah. feel so bad. And yeah. so, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we sorry. have said that. I have had that soapbox numerous times. I think we're like 150 episodes in, and I've probably had like 10 episodes where I'm like, stop reading genres you don't like. Yeah. If you don't like historical romances where there's a wallflower and then they have a little tit a tit in the garden where he grabs a boob and then they have to get married, don't read those books. <laughs> like, come on, save yourself. If you don't right. like a book that has sex on the page, stop reading books with stop sex it. on the page. Don't if do you it. don't like stop. books that have no sex, stop reading books with no sex like treat yourself to the ones you like or just dnf it and just don't review it and just move on just move on i think crazy people get too you know like um 
Like I read, I, this is my fifth book by Penny Reed, and I didn't like all five. Well, how did you get to five? It's insane, <laughs> right? It's insane. Like, oh God, bless your heart. Like, please stop. Good I also, Lord. I also don't think of like people understand that when you give something a star rating, you are affecting the livelihood of that author. Sure. And I, and I think that's something because I was an Uber driver at one point. If somebody, they're like, they didn't have mints in their car. Three stars, and that that's somebody's livelihood that you are affecting by your star rating. And I don't think people really understand that. And like, again, not because like, I would assume that this person just doesn't like books in contemporary romance in the genre you write, because if they're reading that many, it just does. It's like, just moves, just get some vampires in your life. Then if that's what you need, come on. Vampires are great. Vampires are great. I love vampires. All right. So good. All right. Well, until next time, dear listeners, may your books be your lover. And your hand, your best friend. Thanks for hanging in with us, romance readers. Head over to Instagram to continue chatting with us. We're super friendly. We want to cackle with you. We want to know what your favorite sex scene was. And we need more book recommendations. If you want to read along with us, go to our website, romanceataglance.com, to see what we're reading next. And we'll see you next podcast.